Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. I was incredibly fortunate to be in France at the Targasan World Cup last week and got to sit down with Julian Garcia. We had some pretty challenging weather, even though they were able to pull off four pretty amazing tasks. We had a few days off and sat down with Julian on one of those. I got to know Julian because he and I both bombed out you know, from a pretty good position going into end of speed on the last day of the Super Final and didn't pull it off. And Got to walk out together and sit down and chat for a while and was a little blown away then with his job. I obviously knew that he coached the French team, but his history is, is pretty interesting. He's been at this for a long time. He was a coach of the juniors team for a long time and products like Maxime Pinot and Charles Cazot and, and uh, many other names you know. And he was the head there at Polyspore, which is in Targassons, the Olympic Training Center, one of the Olympic Training Centers for France, and paragliding is a sport you can go do there and learn how to uh, eventually make the French team, hopefully, and be one of the best of the best. The French are obviously doing this at a level that very few other countries are, or even close to. Close to. There was a triple podium there in in Targasan with Maxime and Honorin and and Baptiste and this is something we see all the time and it's because of people like Julian he's got an amazing job he's flies around the world with the team and and coaches them and trains them and gets them he gives a talk before every task on strategy and weather and FTV and final glide and uh, he was incredibly articulate in how he thinks about flying and strategy and and really good performance. And I learned, I was mostly in awe through this whole conversation about uh, where they are operating compared to certainly where we are here in the States and I imagine where most other countries are operating. And they take this professionally, it's a professional sport, they're gaming for the podium. They don't care about much else, and uh, they're gaming for excellence. And there's a lot the rest of us could all learn. So, and I also didn't know this. He was both a part of Maxime's team in the Red Bull X Alps, as well as Ellie Ager. So he was at home on his computer. It sounded like it was pretty traumatizing in some ways, uh, knowing the risks that they were taking, but he was help, helping both of them route through the Alps in their race, you know, keeping them on good lines and away from storms, and it was pretty stormy, especially a few of the days going around Mont Blanc, and uh, so he was very instrumental in both of their success, so that was pretty fun to learn about as well. So. Talk about all these things and much more, but yeah, prepare to be a little odd. Enjoy this conversation with Julian Garcia, the coach of the French team. Cheers. Julian, nice to have you on the show. I don't get to do these in person very often, so it's uh, it's nice to be sitting with you here in, in France. We should be flying, but it sounds like that's coming. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Kevin. I'm uh, really happy to be in front of you, too. I heard a lot of uh, good uh, things you did uh, for the community and I'm uh, fine of your books and of the podcast, obviously. So uh, Thank it's, you. It's an honor. It's good that we're behind this. You're making me blush. <laughs> well, it was quite an honor to uh, bomb out with you. We had quite a good day, but we didn't quite make it in down at the Super Final on the last day and walked out of a rather impressive wow. estate. I don't know if you knew this, but I think that was the owner of Corona that yeah. had that. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. That. You knew that. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I've never been in there, but. I really thought that would uh, warm this task at some point. Yes, <laughs> we were in a nice position and then we weren't. <laughs> and yeah, suddenly 90 or something. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, good story. Yeah, this ranch was definitely fabulous. That was impressive, huh? Wow, amazing. But it was also nice to sit with you and uh, understand a little bit more about your your history. We want to talk about the French team and your coaching and the juniors program and all that because I think people are very interested in that. Ellie and I were talking earlier. Ellie Eggers City right next to us. Those of you who are listening, and we're talking about that. Not 
I don't think any other nation has a program like this. So the the world's very interested in it, and you're the man to talk about it. But I thought before we get there, it'd be nice to know about your own flying history. Where did you start? How did you get into it? And what brought you here? Uh, yeah, um, actually, both questions are kind of linked because I'm a product of the French Federation okay. myself. Mm-hmm. So I used to live in the valley. We are just standing right now. Uh, here, yeah. here, and I got very lucky because here was the famous Paul Espoir uh, working, so we I could see them from my windows uh, and uh, flying, and for sure it gave me some uh, ideas really early on, and I managed to get into some uh, initial courses and then to get myself accepted uh, there at the Paul Espoir. It's already 20, oh, no, it's 25 years from now. Uh, Time flies. Now, yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm turning 40 this year, it seems, so. Yeah, <laughs> it happens whether we want it to or not. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, and you have two kids. I have three. Three, that's uh, right, it's three yeah, girls. Uh, no, only boys. Oh, three boys, I, okay. I, 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 I do boys. Uh, you do boys. I, I, <laughs> I do girls. Only do boys, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, obviously it's a lot of work, so my life is um, kind of uh, ordinary most of the time, like a family guy. And what is a bit more extraordinary is my job, obviously, because as you said, I think it's quite uh, unique. Mm. It's again because of a French system, so I grew up as a teenager and as an athlete at the Pôle Espoir. Then I wanted for some more, so I went to Pôle France in the Alps, competing with the guy back in time. Never was really successful, I would say, at uh, in the competition scene. But still, I learned a lot, and I was uh, studying sport at the university at the same time. And uh, I knew since the beginning that I would want to be coach uh, mm. paragliding. And I even tell my coach back in time uh, here at Pôle Sport that uh, the best job I could find was basically his. <laughs> <laughs> so when when he retired uh, I, I took over and what was the initial catch was it just looking out your window or did your family was your family into the into flying and did, did you come from a history of flying or was it just you saw you saw it out your window and got interested yeah kind of interested and it's true that my father was also a huh. leisure flyer okay. not for very long uh, it's kind of crazy luck because it would have flown maybe for two or three years. It was just enough for me to get involved and uh, to get the initial support. Mm. And then I, he stopped uh, quite almost uh, fastly, I would say. And I just uh, followed it. Anyway, I was completely hooked and I was already in the program of the French Federation. So they allowed me a lot and um, this system allowed me to, to build myself as a Sportman, adult, and a coach, I would say. And is the, when you say the poly sport, is that where we went yesterday? That's the that's the where the tracks and the training system that was all built for the Mexico Olympics. Yeah, poly sport is a word that uh, say uh, a group of hope, hope uh, promise, okay, uh, youngsters yeah. promise, and they are poly sport in every different uh, sport in France that are recognized like high level sport. So okay. basically, there is a commission that means once per year, stating which sports are interesting or not to to finance and to help. And paragliding, obviously, is one of them. And we are lucky for that. Mm. They consider it seriously and they support it. So the French Federation had the brilliant idea in 1997, uh, so quite a long time ago, to put a pole espoir of paragliding there in Forum. Uh, where we were yesterday, yeah. and it's where all started. On the first session, a famous name is Charles Cazot. Yeah. He was part of the of this. Uh, you, yeah, and you call it, what do you call it? Is it the juniors team, or is it what is it called at that stage? No, at that stage it was it has always been uh, Pôle Espoir. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we don't really have a name. Okay. For it. Yeah. Okay. So, and we had Charles on the show. He talked about it a little bit, but you. You go to the school for what? Is it also academics? Is it is it just flying? Is it theory? Is it strategy? What what do you learn there? 
It's a normal school, completely normal curricula, okay. meaning that uh, you won't have a single uh, hour less than any other student uh, in France. But uh, this school is a bit special because there are many sports you can do as an athlete yourself. And here they will help you with uh, nutrition, you will have your coach, you will have a group uh, in many sports, ski, wrestling, swimming, whatever, and also paragliding. So basically you join this group, you are part of a group of teenager paraglider wannabe, uh, competition pilot, mm -hmm. you have nice coach, nice support, and you try to, to make mm -hmm. Best progress you you can. And it's just the just XC race to gold type racing, or is it macro yeah. and other stuff? No, exactly. In France, the only uh, recognized as height level is uh, discipline is the race to gold type, the cross country. And you were eighteen when you enter. I was probably less seventeen, but it's possible to enter as as low as uh, fourteen. Was the case as example for Simon Metetal, okay. which is a famous uh, name yeah. also, the French team youngster. It's possible to enter really young, but because we have a, a university of sport next to the to the complex, uh, it's also possible to get there at 20, 21. And how do you how do you, how do you get in? Is it an application? Is it a recommendation? Do you have to have other uh, accommodations that mm -hmm. you've learned, you've gotten somewhere else? You do an application form and then you pass a test for a full week. Uh, we invite every every pilot wannabe uh, for one week at the very exact same complex. We show them what it is. Uh, so here is the room to sleep. Here is the food. Here is the site. We test every single uh, student and then we decide who could uh, enter or not for the next season. And what? You mentally test, or what are you testing? Yeah, technically, mentally, project, uh, parent support, which is really important also. So we also have uh, interviews with the parent. School level is also really important because for sure, if you are already low uh, on school level point of view, it won't get any better with uh, 20 hour more training or a week. So... Yeah, many things we test. And if you if you are accepted into the polysport, then the, in two years in, you decide ah, I would like to switch to wrestling. Can you do that? Or, or if you're in, you're in the sport that you were accepted in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You are in the same sport. If you want to change, you pass the test. It happens. In fact, really? I, I got a hockey player that passed the test at paragliding and succeeded and uh, went to the polysport for uh, two years. Huh. Actually, and he was uh, there at first for hockey, uh, ice hockey. So yeah, everything can happen for sure. <laughs> but well, it's it's not the main case. So you're a freshman or whatever they call it here. The first year, what are you learning in the paragliding side? What's the what does the curriculum look like? The first year, the most important uh, is that we will finish your education as a pilot. I would say. So we will learn you to uh, take off and, and land safe, to build some uh, flight plans, uh, safe flight plans, short uh, technical instruction terms. And it can be as low as this. So making sure that the, the whole curriculum as a normal pilot, autonomous pilot, a lot of uh, exercises are about being autonomous in the sky, uh, is completely done built strong no weak point anywhere with wind with drift with uh, whatever you know and uh, once this is done we add the the competitive uh, game so depending on the profile and on your level uh, at entrance uh, it can take more or less time to check that you are actually ready to to go bigger no to go on some other game and race game mm -hmm. So and the goal is World Cup. Well, yeah, the the end of the what what we have done as best is to have in the Polespoir some World Cup medalist. So that's not only an entrance of the World Cup, but uh, getting a podium. podium. Okay. So that was extremely rare. It was the case for Simon Pellissier, Meryl Ferrier, 
some others, Simon Meteta, Lois Gutani, they managed. But for sure, it's uh, it's extreme scenario. So the whole main objective is to educate people to competition to the point where we could finish the job in the Alps. Because we know that at the end of the day, they will finish their study somewhere else because it's only an institute. So it's a low-level graduation. And then they will need to to build more experience. Ah, okay. So this program, the Polysport, is a four-year program? Yeah. Okay. Four year or three year, depending on the project, depending on where, when they enter exactly, uh, or uh, aged they were when mm -hmm. they joined. And then... Um, most of them will finish their curriculum in whatever, uh, as example, engineer or whatever. Okay, so then it'd be the expertise, your career more more so than uh, flying. Exactly. Okay, so you would kind of dual major, we would call it at home. You would have a, a major in flying and you'd have a major in engineering or chemistry or whatever, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this um, structure, Paul Espoir, is the initial part of the iceberg that uh, will guide you to the highest level as possible. And the last part is in the Alps. It's called the Pôle France. Okay. So it's not Pôle Espoir. There is no more hope. Now you. Now we talk about performing. And this is in the Alps. This is now run by Charles Cazot. Okay. He's in charge of this. Yeah. And uh, this is where we, we are willing to finish the job. No. And so that's where you're putting the final touches. Is that where you're doing a lot of SAV and, or what is that? What does Charles's side look like? Yeah, we can do some SAV sooner for sure. But um, then, once you are out from the police board, the curriculum is much more uh, autonomous because what will happen? Uh, every student will be in a different university anyway. It will be much more harder to gather them. So the schedule is more, okay, we, we, we are going to fly uh, in two days. Who is coming? We take the bus. We take Charles. There is a training plan, and we follow the training plan. We, we fly all together, and we back home. It's much more, hard to say, um, in some way friendly and easy, and uh, but it also requires... Putting good pilots with really good pilots exactly. and learning. Exactly. Whereas... In the Pôle Espoir, in the same time, it's uh, really, really, uh, the routine is really strong because it's uh, every week uh, look like another one. As example, we are uh, flying on uh, Wednesday and on weekends. Every Wednesday, every weekend is dedicated to fly. And then there is theory, four hours a week. Uh, so it's Tuesday and Thursday and then sport again other sport uh, on Thursdays and on Tuesdays. And it runs like something, because everybody is on the same place and it's really easy to get a... When you say other sport, like cross training, physical training and just doing other balance and... Exactly. Okay, exactly. just developing as an athlete. Yeah, yeah. The evolution, the evolution of our sport now is getting a bit complicated with the weight. And we are tr we are more and more training uh, with uh, weightlifting. In fact, mm. just because uh, we try to protect some problem in case of crash, we also try to protect some uh, issue uh, wearing the, all the kilos we need to to fly. Mm. So I must admit that we switched for from something quite easy cardio and uh, on into something that is a bit nastier with weight. Yeah. How many, I think you said 12, but is that right? Is it 12 people a year go into the program? Yeah, it's an average, can oh. be less. Okay. Uh, the maximum had been 18. 18? Uh, it, it had been a nightmare. <laughs> it had been way too much. Uh, 18 people, imagine, on a <laughs> daily basis. That's a lot. To handle, yeah. Keep in mind that they are not uh, over 80 people, uh, 18 people aged. They are they are minor of age. Ah, really? So they enter when they are fourteen, as example. So you are a bit the second father in a way because. Oh, this is high school then. This is like fourteen uh, to eighteen. Yeah, a ah. small institute. Yeah, sorry. Oh, well, if, if, if I thought it was a university, yeah. which we would call kind of eighteen to twenty-two college. Uh, college. This is after is a possibility only in sport. 
gotcha. and no other curriculum. So it's a really tiny, tiny part of our students. Huh. The major part of a student is below 18, okay. are below 18. And then suddenly they are further out of the year. They are sleeping at the, the institute. The, yeah. the, and uh, if there is any problem, who will they call them? Well, okay. they knew. Sure. So this is kind of a, we would call that a boarding school. Yeah. And you go away to learn. Yeah. Okay. Or go away because you're a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Have you ever done, I mean, since 97 then, have you ever looked back at the statistics on those who started and ended up as podium pilots? Yeah. Do you know what it is? It 50%? Is it 20? No, it's much less for sure uh, than 20. Uh, but uh, it's actually uh, a, a bit more up to 10. So it's pretty good. It's still as a, if we are talking about um, getting recognized by the sport ministry as a high level pilot. So it means that you have achieved decent results in uh, your career. As example, the the criteria right now is uh, to be part, if I'm not mistaken, of the top twenty on the junior WPRS, the okay. World Ranking System, yeah. Pirate Ranking System, then they give you a recognition of uh, being a, a real athlete. No. Okay. And about 10% of uh, students manage to to get... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of French in that top 20. Yeah, exactly. So it Yeah, it's uh, kind of... Uh, working definitely but you know the important thing is that the, this formation is not only about uh, medals uh, podiums and uh, in the end uh, height level we have plenty of students that follow a life into paragliding industry in a way or in another being uh, instructors being uh, we have also a designer for ozone we have uh, three or four designers for super we have we have plenty of guys that Okay, they did not achieve medals, but they are not lost for the system. Uh, mm. Look at myself as example. Yeah. I mean, I didn't achieve and, and managed to grab a medal uh, realistically, but I managed to learn some stuff into coaching, uh, paragliding, and the job has been decent, we would say, on the last uh, years. And thanks to the to this police one. Tell me about your own progression through. So you started young. You got into the program. When did you make the switch to coaching? And you you said uh, you didn't have the results. Uh, you know you you're in a perfect position to understand why yeah. you're teaching these people. So what was it that that you you know if you saw saw you coming up through the program yeah. again, what would it be? What's uh, exactly. It's it's getting really uh, personal, Gavin, uh, now. <laughs> but in fact, uh, you're right. In a way, I become a coach to to fix um, something I believe was missing when I was a, a student, and uh, I I always has, uh, have been an impulsive uh, person, quite uh, having. Um, Mm, difficulties to control my mind and my temper and I have attacked every single good position I had in any race when I was a kid like you know I, I, and I had many because technically I was not so bad uh -huh. and then the stuff the game for me was okay I'm higher than the others so I go straight and I try to win this race and finally I discovered that maybe uh, paragliding is uh, not that simple in fact, because these uh, race are are race to uncertainty, uh, you know, the guy who is in front is the most insecure people on earth because mm. he doesn't know nothing at the moment of the rest of the race. Yeah, how it will react, where the next term is, is this cloud cloud working? He's the rabbit. No, yeah, he's the rabbit, yeah. and then suddenly at the back for sure, if he fails. Everybody will have the information. If you succeed, everybody will have the information. And I think that, um, yeah, in some ways, this could lead to major uh, try, error, try, error, try, error. It's not methodological at all to progress uh, this way. And we, I try to, to understand a bit why it could work differently to train people and to help them fix this kind of problem. Mm. 
and uh, yeah, in the end, I think I ended up uh, writing uh, stuff and helping people this way. So I have this problem. What? <laughs> what's the fix? What's the short answer fix when you have? the excitement you don't have the Russ Ogden would call it discipline uh, exactly this discipline what uh, we discussed uh, we discussed this exactly with Russ we kind of uh, agreed I call it control but you call it discipline mm -hmm. it's uh, two worlds that design the exact same uh, stuff it's not a, a pass mandatory to follow for sure some uh, some winners are completely attacking from the beginning to the end I'm just saying that in a paragliding situation, um, it's not possible to have 120 attackers because the, the, the optimized line is not that wide. It's just as simple as, as this. Mm. You can attack on the optimum line. Someone can at attack at the left, another one at the right. But at the, uh, at the end, there is no 120 option. So some other would have to follow. Mm. And um, yeah, it's uh, at first it, it's a bit tricky to go this game. Uh, unfortunately, the most technical guy, the, the guy that are technically very very strong, uh, got a lot of good position to attack. And if you fail to understand that they are not all attackable, uh, tactically, not technically, then suddenly you are done. Mm. Because what you will do is uh, you will manage one, you will manage two. You will manage three, and on the fourth one or the fifth one, you will fail to find the correct core. The group will go elsewhere, and suddenly you will be eighty. So, um, this we work with schemes, exactly schemes. Okay. So you got um, you if you analyze your past performance, I'm pretty confident we will find a power schemes that you have. Yeah. You have it probably in mind. I see you smiling right now. So this is the most... Uh, uh, it gives This scheme gives you the most probability to make it right. And something out of the schemes gives you the worst probability to make it right. Mm. And what we are trying to achieve is keeping the pilot into their most powerful uh, schemes. For sure, it's not the same for everybody. You can't ask uh, Honorin Amar to fly like Meryl Delferia, but everyone has one, and uh, everyone can be the best at their own game. And this is uh, all we try to do. We were talking on the drive up here that uh, you you helped Ellie and and uh, Maxime in this year's race in the X Alps from the ground and gave them strategy and in air and helped the guide them in the, in the Alps. And you said something that I thought was pretty interesting. You said, you're not a mental coach, but I find that hard to believe because the, your students and the, the, uh, the we always say this is a 90% mental game. You, mm. You're right. There is the, there the technical skills and all the things that go into flying, but like you're talking about there, the schemes and the map, the probability and the math. That's really in the head, right? You're 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 trying to to maximize uh, your flying potential, but it's mostly it's how it's the decision making as the course goes through. So, I I I would imagine you really are a mental coach, even though you said not. What do you think? Yeah, I still say no, and I can explain why. In fact, we all we always believe that decision making is uh, is coming from the mind. It's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Decision making is not uh, always and only coming uh, for the mind. And I have shortcuts, and I use those shortcuts. I will try to explain right now. In fact, depending on the situation you are in, you will take uh, a different decision. Uh, just because of the situation. It's not much of your brain that is deciding for you, but the situation in itself. I will take an example that you will hopefully easily understand. You are at the takeoff on the X-Alps, and uh, the wind is way too strong, like completely too strong. There are clouds coming by, it's thunderstorm, it's not good at all. But if you don't take off here, right now, right here, you have four hours to go down walking on big rocks to this valley, you know? And if you don't go immediately, your contestant will be gone anyway forever. 
So isn't it suddenly harder to for you to set your mind to say, okay, I resign, I pack my glider and I go down? Mm. It's even more difficult if uh, if your glide is, uh, glider is already open mm-hmm. and ready to take off. It's, if it's packed, suddenly maybe there is a chance, you know? So mm-hmm. suddenly the situation, we see that it has a huge impact on how you can behave and uh, react and decide. And I am a strong believer that we tend to over overpower the the over represents the power of your mind i really think that the, in some situation you will, you will have no trouble doing things uh, correctly and uh, putting good decision and i think this is my job i i don't deny the the power of the mental and the needs of mental coach in some occasion but in my experience it's kind of rare when it's uh, needed. It's uh, barely the mental that, that block your performance. It's more the situation where you put yourself in. And I feel like you're kind of articulating flow in a different way. You're tapping into what you know how to do anyway. Your subconscious, let it do the work. Is that, you're, is that more or less? You know, the don't think, do. Yeah, exactly. Don't think do because uh, doing is uh, is uh, anyway thinking in a way. Uh, these are inspired by uh, ecological theory of the spirit of the mind and of this decisional making. We need to stop considering the human brain as a computer that is treating information and making decision. It's not working like that, and it has been proved many times by uh, different uh, studies. There are automatic reactions uh, that are actually taught. I mean, uh, acting is a thought already. There, are, there, are, there is no need for treatment. There is no need for a black box deciding. And uh, again, the, the situation uh, is, is helping you. I will uh, provide a very, very um, uh, concrete example. You are in front of the hardest transition in the world. So. It's a canyon, there are power lines everywhere, and there are crocodiles and rivers, and uh, it's ugly, very ugly, and the wind, wind is completely shitty, and everything is really, really wrong. You have the best glide of the world, you are really good technically, everything is uh, good, and then suddenly, you see by Kriegel Mora passing, or Maxim Pinot, and they are trying to, to pass this transition together. If you do it by yourself, uh, at least for myself, with my skills, there is a 100% uh, chance I, I, I will fail I, and I will die into the crocodiles. But suddenly, if they are close by, they are sinking, I have the best glider of the world, I'm okay technically, I followed them, and at the debriefing, when I will be asked, uh, how hard was it to pass this uh, this transition? Which transition? I didn't even notice that. No, I, no. I, I followed Max or Krieger or whatever, right. Right. you know? Huh. So we, what is the decision now? It's important uh, to also see this way. The situation you are in is also um, saving a lot of hassle um, in some occasion. Interesting. You talked about Merrill and, and Hano and having different skills. How do you, as a coach, adapt to the different uh, little or sometimes, I guess, bigger differences? How do you help them? And uh, what, are the, what are the things you're looking for to be a good coach to yeah. different people? You need to know uh, their strong point, like to know them by heart, uh, strong and uh, weak. So I like to know that I... I see exactly where they will, where they risk nothing at all. The situation where this is fixed, they have it forever. They will succeed no matter what. But I also know in which situation they are uh, suffering and uh, having a lot of trouble. These situations are not the same, neither strong point, neither weak point, neither for Meville, neither for Honorin. But at least uh, I know when it will produce good results, life, and when it won't, and when it will uh, fail. And uh, I do that for each of the athletes. And uh, I I stopped thinking 
that there is a better way. There are no better way. There are personal way. So one can be world champion with one way, and the other one can be world champion with another way. Uh, mm. So I don't, I'm not interesting at all of, about how they do it. It's surprising. I, I don't care about how they do it. I just observe what's working for them and make sure that they keep doing where they are the best. The same stuff over and over. Rob producing the scheme. You've talked about strengths and weaknesses. Is it more important to focus on strengths or fixing weaknesses? It's much more important than staying in your strength. Uh, so this in paragliding, this debate is uh, is over already because uh, if you never, it's not about having the super super strength that nobody have, but it's it's more uh, or no weakness at all. It's much more about never quitting what you know you can do perfectly. And uh, if he, if you focus on that exactly and try to destroy every stuff that can uh, divide you from what you are usually achieving good, for sure you can be really far, go really far in the, in the progression. So I don't know if I'm really clear, but yeah. it's neither reinforcing strong points neither than uh, um, reinforcing weak points. The, the, the thing is, the main thing is to never break the usual stuff you are producing and never uh, go into your weak point. So I will make an example more clear because I think it's really theoretical. But the second you will ask Meryl to lead a task, at the very second you will have trouble you will have big trouble because it's not part of her game at all. So, okay, one transition is okay, more or less, she will manage, but then... She starts overthinking it. She worries about making a mistake. It's not even that uh, she got stressed because she can like it. It's just that it's not not what she does. It's not how how the performance is produced, how it uh, emerges and how it's uh, working. And at the very same time, what's crazy is that Honorin is a super pilot. He wants uh, plenty of tasks. But if he starts from a really specific situation, I can say from the beginning that it's not going to happen today. And this situation is um, a bit uh, detached from the the group, lower with uh, real attackers attacking all the, the days in front of him. Don't push too hard. Yeah, he, he will get nervous and he will try to to overpush. Most of the time he, he'll manage. But anyway, the fact for him to not being able to win this task right now will be overwhelming. And at the end, and uh, I don't think he, he, he managed many tasks uh, like that. It's not his way of, yeah. uh, of creating performance. If you tell him to just control everything and just turn Meryl style, he will get really, really upset because he don't feel like he grabbed bonus, leading bonus. And suddenly he gets tense, 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 and then problem can occur. Game over. Uh, I got to see you work well, a couple times lately, but uh, especially down in Castello because I was always setting up next to you. And I really wish that I could speak French because you would talk every day to all the French team and all the French pilots, I think, or most of them. For quite a long time, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Oh, uh, it's a really it's a routine, so it's very easy to to describe. First thing is uh, we make a, a point on the weather, the weather forecast, what is uh, expected today, or it's important, or it will affect the task, the current uh, task. Then we discuss a lot of uh, where we are in the competition because it's really important. Is it discard day? Is it um, a random day? No, no trouble. Final task, first task. But when you say we, but specific to different people or just in general? No, in general. Okay. Uh, so I talk to the whole group and uh, the discussion is open, obviously. Everyone can uh, can speak and we try to, to figure out where we are in this competition, uh, how it will affect again the current task. 
Um, because obviously, if it's this cold day and a lot of guys have nothing to lose, probably it will attack a bit more. The rhythm will be a bit more faster. If some guys already discarded a lot, it's this cold day, they maybe don't want to... Risk so much. To risk too much, so they can be, they can have conflict. It's it's really useful to get a tactical insight of the of the situation. Then we go through the task, obviously, mm-hmm. what what is going to be done today, and uh, yeah, we discuss the option. We plan the final guide, which is really important. The, the final guide. Uh, yeah, that's about it. But uh, I think the, those discussions are good to get some focus. Uh, mm. The fact that it, it's a routine, it's just something you do no matter what. It helps also um, reducing the uncertainty and it helps the uh, pilot to get um, right into the zone and, uh, before takeoff. Your own back to your own personal uh, journey with this. You were coaching for what were the years you were coaching? I'm sorry, I didn't get the question. What what were the years you were coaching for the Poly team? Because you're not doing that now, correct? No, at Pol Espoir, I have been uh, eight or nine years. Can't remember, but I quit in uh, 2021 at the Pol Espoir. Okay. So the the youngsters we are talking, and now I'm in charge of the. The guys, uh, the the French team, mm-hmm. so the, the older guys, and uh, I'm still in in charge right mm-hmm. now, um, and it's been since three years, almost three years. And what what does that look like as a job now? You, you go to all the World Cups, you do the trainings with yeah. Charles. Uh, what is it full time? Is it year round? Yeah, but coaching is only the, the the small tip of the iceberg, I would say, because this is the fun part where you go with the team and fly and coach and help them hopefully getting better. But the whole job is more about structurating the the high-level elite uh, of the sport uh, nationally. So we discussed about Pôle Espoir, we discussed about Pôle France, both structure, one in the art, the other in the Pyrenees, that are helping us to, to provide talents, but we are others, mm-hmm. uh, regionally speaking. And I'm in charge of uh, the wool uh, project, responsible for the wool uh, project. So I work with the coaches, I work on the budget, I have a really, really inter- interesting administrative uh, life, like a desk uh, office uh, job, uh-huh. <laughs> unfortunately. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like you're having fun. It's not I mean, it's a cool thing to be around this kind of level and helping people achieve is one of the best things ever. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, very good balance being honest because uh, I am a fairly mini man as you know. So at the moment you are home and working on papers, then suddenly you're the perf- perfect father father, you go to school with the kids and it's it's easy. And at some point, I also need to go really wild with the guys and uh, put myself in the air with them and uh, and go on some com- into some competition. And I, I love this balance. Yeah. Ellie was telling me yesterday when we were doing some training that she spent some time with you some point in the world, in the middle of the world, she hurt her ankle and got to ride around with you in the car and, and watched you work. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Is I mean, the U.S. team, we've never had anything like that. We don't have a coach. You're doing it totally on your own. Even at the Worlds, they're not really working together. We, we don't know how. It's that We haven't learned these skills. So uh, I think, but many people listening would love to know, what are you telling the pilots in the air and what are you how are you helping them from the ground is it is it just weather observations are you talk are you giving them where other people are what are you identifying that's helping the pilots in the air yeah as we discussed i help them mostly to keep into their strong skin uh, so i provide all the information you mentioned it can be for sure weather but it's mostly uh, live tracking uh, information we had a super nice edition on the last uh, edition it was a, a super powerful um, uh, long glass I don't know if it's the correct word in English telescope Telescope, yeah. and I was able to match live uh, the observation with the live tracking getting more and more uh, accurate 
and you could, as example, say uh, at the final glide, if there are some birds or the, if the, it's, it's super powerful tool, mm. uh, really. So I, I basically try to find the right scenario for, for the team at the, at the briefing, so before the task, and then we work all together to put this scenario into life during the task, helping each other, uh, sharing the right information so, so this scenario could be a reality, basically. Our radio protocol is not secret. Many team leaders asked me before what we were sharing because for sure it's not really obvious what to, to say in such case. Our attackers are uh, announcing the value, the power of, power of the value mm -hmm. in, uh, in front because it's very, very important for the other that are at the back to know what's the next value is the, the power. So they know if they can continue to speed up or if the virus MP is not really good, it means that uh, they have time. So it's this theory of control that is really important, I would say. Uh, so the pilots are reporting back as well. They're, exactly. Everybody's part of the bird, the, the part of the flock. Exactly. Okay. Super so you're all on one channel, or are you able to talk to somebody independently? No, no, no. Everybody's no. on one channel. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's not that they can announce. It's a mandatory stuff. If you don't do it, then uh, you will have trouble because all the teammates will say, hey, but uh, we don't have the info. Yeah, no. Oh. So... This is important, and for the people at the back, they are in charge and responsible for announcing the options, tactical options they are seeing, because they are the best position to talk about what they see and what the race look like. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, Jean Boomerang Red attacking to the left. Uh, okay, uh, we got rid of all confirmation uh, received, well received, because it's it's an overkill, uh, and we work. Uh, this way, uh, trying to keep the the scenario and the strong scheme to everybody. And then, are there in the Argentina Worlds two years ago that Russ won? I, I talked to quite a few of Seb and and Russ and Jockey, and the it didn't start off this way. But when it started looking like Russ had a pretty good chance, uh, but even even quite early on, there was people were really assigned roles. You know, the, okay, you're going to be the rabbit. You're going to be flying with Russ. You're going to be staying back and give the information like you're talking about. Will the French team do the same? What, what Are there assigned positions? In other words, okay, we're, we're, Anno's got the best shot of winning in the world. So we're going to support Anno, hmm. period. Or is it is it more whoever can win, go for it? No, no. It's uh, at first for sure. Every pilot, individual pilot, want to be world champion, and in, in the French team, many of them have good chance to sure. achieve that. So for sure, you need to let them uh, express. But again, you want them to express themselves on their strong point. So I insist a lot on this. For sure, you cannot talk to Ono and tell him, okay, you will uh, fly on the second group today because uh, it will be useful for the team. It won't work like that because he won't be world champions. So you know he will attack. Mm. So then you can choose a team. You are not obliged to put your team with three attackers or four attackers and uh, go all in every day. It's not uh, mandatory. So you choose wisely. We have Meryl that is in a different uh, game completely and uh, we are very lucky to have her because she scored big point as a girl and secure a lot of uh, tasks. Mm -hmm. And then I made the choice to put Pierre as example because I know his, his strong points are actually really tactical. He flies the Gaga really well, like maybe I compare him to Aaron Durogati or to Joachim or Barroso, people that fly in front but not attacking every single position and are really smart in a group. So it was my uh, my choice as example, and then this game of assigning role to every part people in your team will come a bit later with the task because soon you will realize that these people have no chance of winning. These guys maybe he has a chance of winning, and, uh, and then you you play the scenario. You you tend to to create a scenario that will bring you some medals. This is what you what you do. And 
I'm quite uh, sad for some uh, country when I see them uh, flying. They have a chance of medal and they don't even really defend it. You know, the poor girl could be two or first, but uh, she's alone and the teammate, they want to be tense. Yeah, you know, we we mm. just don't work like this at all. Mm. It's uh, no sense for us. Tense, it's nothing. It's it's not worth it. Yeah, we will defend the girl anyway, yeah. or we will defend the guy. And we we are playing this game. We defended every. We we managed to to be one, two, three, and two top women because we defended every single position every day. Not because we left the people to fight on their own. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Okay, X Alps. Uh, we'll leave this the, the, this part for the end. Uh, I didn't know this that you were uh, that you were helping Maxime and, and Ellie. What does that look like? That's fascinating to me. So you, and and it, uh, talk about the intensity of it. It sounded like it was quite intense for you. Uh, just being on that side and being responsible in a lot of ways uh, for for some of the decisions that they were making is scary in that race. Yes, it is. Uh, I think um, it's hard um, for people to realize what could be your contribution if you are not on the on the terrain, because you imagine that the XR would be something really practical, uh, and you need to be really close to the athlete. And uh, we didn't make this uh, choice. We made the choice of uh, trying to have some external help uh, remotely. So that was my uh, job. Um, making it's, it, the job is rude. Basically, so trying to root the athlete um, and give them information uh, live. So how does it work? You you are in front of a computer, in front of your desk, and you are playing with your friends uh, who are basically risking their life, more or less, uh, and tell them how to avoid nastiest situation and how to improve their performance uh, with navigational help. You use every... Um, Every single new technology you can uh, have to to do that. So you have the webcams, you have zero to talk to them to them live. They can reply to you. So this is a discussion, a live discussion while they are flying. You have the weather forecast. You have the tracking uh, position of everybody. You have the the routing system for the ground, and you try to yeah to, to help them in the best uh, way you can. The problem is it's. Um, it's not a video game you are playing. You are playing with your friends. You are taking decisions uh, that are shared, but it's still uh, you are part of the decisional process. And uh, as things can evolve quite roughly, it can get a bit tense behind the, the screen. Uh, as example, I was uh, counting the thunderstorm uh, while Maxim was flying uh, near Chamonix, uh, and I was counting the distance of the next live tender I got on the screen to his position. And at some point, we got to decide uh, with Luc Armand if it's uh, close enough or if he can uh, just follow his, his uh, path. He was requesting information. We went to push him and to encourage him this day. But then suddenly you go to sleep and you realize that uh, if the decision is wrong, then uh, it's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a very fine line, isn't it? The line is fine. You try to do it as professionally as possible, but for sure the job is uh, exhausting. I know that uh, the drone pilots that are making wars are, are affected by kind of a similar syndrome because you're kind of playing to a video game, but it has consequence on the on the terrain. So, yeah, for sure I ended up the race... Uh, it's it's crazy to say that because I, I didn't even run or I didn't even how can I complain if the athlete themselves are, are you know a shift runs and runs and thousands of verticals and they are fine but I was wasted uh, really. <laughs> so, yeah, being a supporter is hard. I think at any level, I got to see that. I mean, they they get wrecked. They get absolutely destroyed okay. as well. It's, it's tough. I, have you done that before that role? I trained many times uh, with Maxim, a bit with Ellie. I trained live uh, with uh, Maxim on some previous race, okay. obviously. And um, I, I always have been around uh, trying to help a bit the athletes, but it was the first time it was so 
intense. And so to say that, uh, yeah, calculated that I, I would be in charge of uh, of this role. It was the first uh, edition. Yeah. Uh, silly question, but one that everybody wants to know is everybody can be beat, of course, even Kriegel, but what would it take for, and who would have, who in your opinion has the best shot? Well, we all believe that Maxim would, uh, would have good chance. And, uh, I think it's still the case, but it seems that, uh, Kriegel is showing that, uh, we would need to have a bit of luck with the weather, something a bit smoother, huh? isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, now for sure, realistically, we have uh, again uh, seen uh, a Kregel flying on a different level when, when the conditions were getting uh, nasty and uh, probably at some point unflyable for most uh, men. I think the logic of this race is a bit uh, dangerous at some point because for sure, I, I don't want to say anything bad on the performance of Kregel because every body can measure it and, and understand that it's huge but uh, if you never give up on any uh, on any city condition uh, what happened then yeah i mean uh, that's a question that can um, be asked uh, maybe the, the logic of this race is that if you follow the flight even in the the really big 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 nightmare condition you will win it that's okay yeah. But uh, is that fun? <laughs> or, I mean, I, I'm sure even for him, um, he managed uh, or went good. Of, of course, he's exceptional pilot. Probably, why not? I can accept it better than uh, any other athlete, technically. But still, the logic seems a bit flawed. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's gotten to the point now where, if like you said, your scenario earlier on, it's it's way too strong. There's too many clouds. It's below. It's rocky. It's nasty. If you don't take off, you are not going to win the race. You you have to, and you have to keep doing it over and over and over and over. You know, in 21, it was just ridiculous. It was just the flying in absurd conditions over and over and over. And if you don't do it, you don't have a chance. So it's you're really rolling the dice. I I would. Think that I would think if we had Kriegel here, he would say he's rolling the dice less than everybody else because he trains so much and that stuff. But you're still rolling the dice. You're, uh, to me, I, I don't know. You're right. It's a very good proposition. I think this race uh, is not a competition. It's an adventure. And uh, Kriegel has shown that he's the best uh, paraglider adventurer uh, worldwide. When he was compete on the competition scene, he was anyway the best pilot. Kudos to him. I have a huge respect for what he achieved. Uh, it's uh, completely amazing. Uh, I like to remind people that there is a difference between an adventure and a competition. On competition, there are um, institutions and there are rules, and uh, some of the of those rules are to protect the pilots from themselves. On an adventure, it's obviously probably not the case, um, and. Uh, yeah, we are amazed by the performance and it's getting a very popular race, uh, really probably the best communicative race around paraglider. Uh, but again, uh, it's not something really um, trivial that we are watching. We are watching uh, people risking their life, basically, on the top spot. I mean, so... Okay, I, I respect that, and I went involved into that, and I. But um, I have this somewhere in my mind, and uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for the athlete who who participated in this kind of uh, adventure. It sounds like uh, Ellie, who's sitting here, and uh, Maxime will do it again. Will you support them again? Would you do it again? No, I won't. No. Uh, I told them both. They know I'm. I'm not uh, because for as I said, for me the uh, okay. At least for Maxim, it's definitive because it's for the top places, and the logic is also to be discussed. For Ellie, I think she has proven that it's possible to finish the race, uh, staying on the safe side of the of the coin, the of the situation. 
Uh, I think we the the whole team did a wonderful job to to make us stay in the reason of uh, the Earth's race and to avoid the wind and to fly on west face when it was uh, too rough and when and we yeah she managed and and it went not that bad at the front it was crazy in many occasions and uh, this I don't I'm not willing to to live again. Uh, this uh, kind of uh, stress and emotion, but I understand why it's fascinating, and uh, I, I I will follow the race probably, but with less responsibility. Yeah, that that's something that uh, we tried. Bet I think we did a better job this year from the reporting side, which I had never done to to bring more of that to the audience. But uh, what people don't understand it the day that maxime landed in the wind and damien flew his incredible flight it was so far from recreational conditions you can't i mean i don't think people understand that there were no other pilots out that day i mean 2015 when we went through uh, the matterhorn and there were six of us up at the matterhorn no other pilots were up there for a reason it was wave flying i mean it was 60 kilometers an hour up tall and it was that strong that day down in in the lakes i mean it was incredibly strong and it's oh, another game. That's a pretty wild game. Man, you are giving me chills again. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. It's uh, it's. I think the paragliding community is um, too soft spoken when it comes to talk about risk. We want to enjoy the game, and we don't want to to think too much about what we risk here. But. Um, if you realize and if you develop all the possible scenario when things go wrong with the wind or with the thunderstorm, you will realize that a paraglider is a very, very <laughs> little uh, tool. Napkin. Yeah, it's, it's something that is uh, it's very rudimental to, to cross the Alps. I mean, look at a rescue system. Uh, maybe you will manage to draw it and maybe it will tangle in the glider. If it's suddenly open, you will go God's nowhere. I mean, let, let's discuss all this to the end, you know? Mm. What will you do with your rescue on the power line or on the, or on the crazy river? On the, let's detail it all, all, all what, what we witnessed, because those kind of accidents we, we have witnessed in the past, many. Many. This we don't want to talk much. We want to talk about the fact that they made a 200 uh, or 300 uh, kilometer and uh, 11 hour flight. That's good. Okay. But what was it? Mm, this is not uh, really, you know, to say that it, it doesn't sell. It, it, it's not really funny. It, uh, yeah. I really think that we, we need to to explain more the risks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think that I know it doesn't. It just doesn't come across. You 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 get the numbers and it's eleven and a half hour flight and it's two hundred and sixty you know it's two hundred and sixty seven K, but my I mean I was watching the live stuff that day. It was freaking terror. It must have been terrifying to be there. I can't imagine what Damien's head was like at the end of that day. It must have felt like he'd gone to you know, must have been in the rink rink with uh, Muhammad Ali for eleven and a half hours. That's tough going. And hats off to him. It's amazing, but it's also really scary. And the day after was even worse. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. So yeah, they are amazing athlete and amazing pilot, amazing uh, person, and uh, I hope they'll manage to get protected as much as uh, really long uh, in their career. And um, yeah, because this race is definitely something uh, that put uh, them to that overstress them uh, a lot. And so you're 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 going 100 percent and a whole lot of percent beyond. Julian, fascinating, awesome, wonderful to share all these thoughts with you. And uh, you're very good at articulating it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Yeah, me too. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. 
And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you. Thank you.